I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. If you have friends or family who can't watch the show uh, on TV here or in Idaho or in Florida, they can go streaming video, go to www.bornagainmormon.com and they can watch the show live there. Just click on the TV show, follow directions and go from there. In the house tonight, we have a very handsome group, I gotta tell you. We have Mary Ellen, we have Janet, we have Carrie and Tony, Stephen, Marie, Tiffany, Jasmine. Now, Jasmine, Tyrell gave Jasmine a ring yesterday. Jasmine's eight years old. So I want Jasmine to know she needs to hold out to make sure he's a Christian and make sure that it's platinum. So we'll go from there. We got Mark, we have Celeste, we have Micah, Reed, Eileen, Jean from Vacaville, California, and David and, and Nancy uh, just moved in from Milwaukee. We welcome them uh, here on the set. Uh, shout outs, a big happy birthday to Tom R with love from his wife, Holly. To my friends, Leon, Barbara, Amy, and Doug, it was great to see you all. Gail Crawford, thank you so much for the, all the books, the information. It was great to see you with your friends, Gladys Howe, Wanda Fear, Marilyn Spees. Uh, it was a great time, my sisters, to sit and talk with you in that living room. Thank you so much for having me over. Mark Schultz, thanks for the comment, we'll talk. Joanne uh, Johnson and Gary Benson, a shout out to you. And finally, a big shout out to Joanna, who introduced herself to one of our viewers at a garage sale as a born again Mormon, had a cross dangling around her neck. Praise God for that, we wish you well. From the, our four very best church scouts, um, we're gonna recommend the Roy Christian Church. It's Pastor James Sayers. It's at 1434 South, 1900 West in Roy. That's Roy Christian Church. Services begin at 9 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. If you're looking for a church that teaches the Bible, worships the Lord in spirit and truth, check out Roy Christian Church. Lord's Word, we meet every uh, Sunday in Salt, downtown Salt Lake City, Gateway Theaters, 9.15 to about 10.15 a.m. And we also meet at the University of Utah from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. If you're interested in either of those, we welcome you. We study the word, we worship, uh, we talk, and we leave. So uh, come anytime you want. Pastor in the pub tonight at Denny's on 5th South at, and 250 West. We'd love to see you there. The book, I Was a Born Again Mormon, you can go to www.bornagainmormon.com. There's all kinds of uh, bookstores on the site that will tell you uh, where you can pick that book up and you can buy it online if you don't uh, want to get out of the house. 
All right, we are going to more manipulation tonight, and I just have one to share with you. I received this book. I've seen excerpts my entire life, but this is, it says the Holy Scriptures, and uh, oh, we're waiting for the Mormon manipulation moment to blow up here on us. There it is. Um, this is the inspired version, and what this is, this is Joseph Smith's translation of the Bible. Remember, he did that from 1830 to 1833. He went through and just categorically received revelation, didn't know the Greek, didn't know the Hebrew, never looked at a language, received revelation as to how the Bible should truly have been translated. This is from the book of Genesis chapter 8, just to share just one thing from it, okay? It says chapter 8, verse 10 of Genesis and God saw that the wickedness of man had become great in the earth, talking about the days of Noah, and every man was lifted up in the imagination of the thoughts of his heart, being only evil continually. That's in the Bible. Now here's Joseph Smith's edition. He says this should have been included in the original transcripts and brought down to us today. Joseph added, And it came to pass that Noah continued his preaching unto the people, saying, Hearken and give heed unto my words. Believe and repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, even as our fathers did. And ye shall receive the Holy Ghost, that ye may have all things made manifest. And then it goes back into the traditional biblical text. Amazing. It's no wonder the LDS Church today in Salt Lake City doesn't provide this to, to you anymore. It's filled with these type of translations from the prophet Joseph Smith. And instead, this comes from the reorganized church. Um, and that's, uh, I obtained it from my friend, uh, Gail Crawford. So thought that was an interesting insight. And I think you can see where the problems are with that type of inspiration. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this airtime, for this studio, for the people who volunteer, the operators. We, we pray that you will be with the viewers, the people who are searching, the people who need you and want you in their life. We pray they'll turn to you, Lord. Help me as I deliver this message. In Jesus' name, amen. I got to apologize just in advance. This may cause some people to turn the channel, but I'm going to spend a little bit extra time tonight. It might be a little bit tedious for some of you. But uh, it's necessary to get this on the, on the screen so that it can be viewed later in the years to come. We're talking at Temples Part 3. Last week we talked about the uh, Temple in Ancient Israel. Today we're going to talk about another aspect that contributed to LDS Temples today. Two weeks ago we talked about how in 1832 Joseph Smith introduced four revelations that are now included in the present day Doctrine and Covenants, one of the canonical works of the LDS Church. We also mentioned that these revelations served to truly separate Mormonism from Christianity at the time. Up until that time, even though the Book of Mormon was a little skeptical of where it came from, golden plates, up until that time, Mormonism and Christianity can pretty much get along doctrinally. And then these four revelations really served to sever those two groups and uh, put them apart. The reason was is because these four revelations focused on the exaltation of man. Man becoming exalted, okay? Where did all this originate from? 
Last week, we discussed temples from a biblical perspective. We talked about the tabernacle. We talked about Solomon's temple. We went on and talked about Herod the Great's temple, then Jesus being a temple, then believers being a temple, and then the body of Christ being a temple, and about how in Revelation it talks about how the uh, heaven will actually be a temple. It refers to heaven as a temple there. Each of these temples exists as the result of or in opposition to sinful man, not to his or her exaltation. We also discussed that modern day LDS temples and the rites within have little connection to the biblical temple in terms of their physicality and absolutely no connection in terms of what happens inside of them. So where did the LDS come up with the idea of modern day temples and the distinct purpose of exalting man? Let's first look at fallen man's universal need to not only use rights and regulations to improve their lot in this world, and then we're going to look at Freemasonry as an example of man seeking to order and exalt the self. Human beings will always look to worship something. I've made mention of this uh, several shows ago in 2006, and I sang that Bob Dylan song, You're Gonna Have to Serve Somebody, if you remember, if you've watched our show for a while. If it's not God or the devil, it will be something under their specific domain. Humans are hardwired for, to look for support from like-minded people to congregate and to seek, for people, to seek from people acceptance and inspiration and guidance. If it's not the true and living God that we're searching for, we will always find an alternative in something. Children look to heroes in comic books, to sports figures and to fables. Teens glom on to rock stars and cinematic stars. We all have been tempted to put someone or something on the altar before God as a, as a beacon or as an example for us to kind of follow. And it's always a mistake. Isaiah talks about the idiocy of men creating idols out of wood and that they'll take wood and they'll carve an idol out of it and then they'll take the chips from that idol that they've created that they're going to worship and they burn it to keep them warm. And then Isaiah also talks about how when you make eyes of wood in a little idol that it's insensate. The idol can't see and they carve little ears in that idol. The, the idol can't hear. And that what happens is when you worship something that is insensate, you too become insensate. You can only rise to the level of the thing that you worship. You can, if you worship a goat, you will not become better than the attributes of the goat. If you worship man, you will never rise above the attributes of man. Even if some men are great and heroes and you can look to them as earthly examples of greatness, they will never bring you above the level of man. Time, maturity, and some painful experiences often let us know that our idols have feet of clay. And then we have a choice to look to God, back to God, up to God, for God, or to resign ourselves that the answers are going to be found in ourselves, in men, in our organizations. It's been the same from the beginning. It's God or it's the forbidden fruit. It's Cain or it's Abel. It's creationism or it's evolution. It's prayer or it's self-affirmation. It's the Beatitudes or it's Invictus. You choose, but it's always going to be one thing or another. The interesting thing is that the humanistic approach appears so humanitarian at times. 
But in reality, without God, it is truly inhuman behavior. I'll explain that. Humanism claims that the solutions lie in our power to fix this world. We can do it. They cry, we can achieve what's best for the world. We can govern. We can rise up. We can solve crime and global warming. We can, we can solve poverty if we just unite and, and come together. That's humanism. We are the ubermensch. We are gods in embryo. That's what they cry. But they have also forgotten that all the circumstances we find ourselves in are caused by us. And so we have these problems, we think we can overcome these problems, but the problems are there because of our own looking to ourselves, to exalt ourselves. The Industrial Revolution made luxury uh, a household word, but it also gave us pollution, traffic, and greed. The Wright brothers gave us planes, but they're also used to drop bombs on other countries. We discovered penicillin that can kill strep, but it, we also introduced AIDS to the world not long ago. For every so-called advance, we take another step back and we find ourselves standing in the same filthy puddle of mud that originated just east of Eden a long time ago. The bottom line is where faith-filled people turn to God, the faithless continue to turn to themselves. Now, I want to talk to you about an institution that looks to itself. An institution that's looked up as being noble for some of the virtues that they bring to community. And it's called Freemasonry. Let me share some facts about Freemasonry. Because in the end, they are very important to present-day Mormonism as we see it. And it's pulsing ideal regarding the exaltation of every one of its members. Gordon B. Hinckley says, our church takes bad men and makes them better. And our church takes good men and makes them the best. These, all these little bromides that, that supposedly just keep making better and better men. And when you look at them, in many ways they are. But again, without God, what do they truly have? Let's talk about Freemasonry for a second. There is no evidence anywhere as to the origins of Freemasonry that people will try to suggest. What do we know? Uh, what we do know about Freemasonry is that they use allegorical myths to try and assign themselves an ancient history that gives them legitimacy. All right, sound familiar? Some say Masonry is tied to Solomon's temple and in ancient Israel. That's an allegorical myth. Some say Euclid, Pythagoras, the Rosicrucians, Moses, the Essenes, the Druids, the Gypsies started it. It's myth. Some maintain that they are all tied to the rem remnant of the Knights Templar. Again, it's unfounded. It's myth. There are dozens and dozens of theories, but what do we know about the Freemasons? The earliest records we have link Freemasonry and their guilds back to 1390. That's as far back as we have a recorded history of anything that verifies it. The earliest records, um, were they were very simplistic in how they talked about it, all right? These were men whose jobs were stonemasons and they were free people. That's where we get the name Freemason, okay? And they roamed about and they worked wherever they wanted uh, and, and however they desired because they had these skills. They cut and they molded stones for the cathedrals in Europe and they were allowed to work and travel at will. Now, the only other free people at that time, not only, but the majority of the other free people back then were the uh, clergy. So this was a very, very prized 
position to have in a community. Okay, uh, take these things into account. First, these Masons were some of the only free people in Europe, a status that was very desirable and envied. Second, they were surrounded by 14th century religion, which must have been fairly repugnant to them uh, if they really looked at it. Third, the way you become one of these operative Masons was to become an apprentice to a master Mason who taught you in confidence the trades of the, the secrets of his trade to be in a stonemason. And lastly, this apprenticeship almost ensured a secure, creative, and liberative lifestyle for those fortunate enough to be admitted into the craft, okay? All of these things led to stonemasons forming cliques, getting in groups, and being very secretive to protect their, their occupation. If everybody knew it, so they, they, they formed in cliques and groups. And they were built upon a foundation of secrecy. All man-made seeking power, self-interest, and safety made these covenants and promises secret. They wanted safety to guard what their profession was. To reinforce this secret brotherhood, they used secret passwords and handshakes that would show you that you were someone who had apprenticed with a mason and that you were truly someone who knew what was going on. And that's why they use these secret handshakes and passwords. This morning I was walking with a good friend named David around 5.45 a.m. around Temple Square. We had an early morning meeting and um, we passed the east side of the temple, of the Salt Lake City Temple. Now on the lower door of the east side shows, cut out in stone, two hands in a secret handshake. That's embedded in stone above the first level of the Salt Lake City Temple. Above that door is another icon that comes directly from masonry, and that's the all-seeing eye. You've seen that. It's on their dollar bill. That's also on the LDS Temple, the all-seeing eye of God, and it's on the second level of the, the LDS Temple in Salt Lake City. To protect the Freemason secrets, they implemented promises of retribution or penalties which a brother, they would call each other brother, would experience if he shared his oaths with an outsider. Now, these things always happen, it appears, in these loosely knit uh, organizations. And um, so what happened was when they came to Scotland and it became to become a movement in Scotland, the Scots organized themselves into a more uh, substantial group, and they, they formed, formed themselves into a guild, all right? Now, why Scotland? I'm not sure, except if you watch Braveheart, you know that they are clannish people. They uh, are very suspicious people. I'm Scottish, part Scottish, so, and so there was probably something to that being in their nature that they formed these guilds where you could, uh, you could share these secrets, and they really became formalized there. And in fact, it was the Scots, though, that took masonry from just being for stonemasons and they opened it up to people who didn't practice masonry at all, who weren't stonecutters. This means that masonry became something different than a guild for a craft. It became an order for, for society. It became an order for community. It became an order for men to become better. And you find that in groups. And so that's what happened with Scotland. Um, 
it was a social order. From this time forward, references to Freemasonry began popping up in diaries and in journals all over, and the guilds began to spread. In England, groups usually met in bars or taverns, and on June 24, 1717, St. John the Baptist Day, two large taverns joined forces and called themselves the Grand Lodge of England. Five years later, a manual or constitution, which was to be used in these lodges, was produced in London by a guy named Anderson, and he totally fictionalized Masonic history, delving back into the Greek and the Hebrew and uh, the Romans and the Bible, and he used all of that to give them some kind of, of legitimate history. And these rumors and myths continue today. Eleven years later, in, in 1734, a guy named Benjamin Franklin reprinted this manual in the city of Brotherly Love, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and he was elected Grand Master of the Masons in Pennsylvania. Many of the towns in early America were founded on Masonic themes and by active Freemasons, and all you got to do is read your history and you'll see that that's true. Now, what the Masons did in their rites was they took an initiate, a new applicant, a new person coming in, and they introduced him to a series of processes called degrees. These degrees represented the initiate's level of understanding in light. And in essence, they were planes or levels of glory towards reaching uh, this nirvana of understanding. Now, the beginning, these levels of light and understanding going back before the guilds were formed were very simple. Um, I think that they would say things like, a this is me making it up. A first degree Mason always sharpens his tools. A first degree Mason spends more time sharpening than cutting. A first degree Mason will always help another Mason under a load. There are very simple rules in the first degree Mason that the Mason would learn, and then they would go to the second degree. But I remember I made those up. Um, and as things go with men and organizations, they evolve. Now, with God, they don't. We remember last week when we talked about uh, the temple in Israel, those things that were written in Leviticus that were done in the temple, they never change, ever at all. They had a purpose and a meaning pointing to Christ. Masonic origins, Mormon temple origins, and where they go to, they evolve with time and change with men. And so you rely on those things only to find that they've changed under your feet. Well, this happened with masonry too. And in 1725, they not only had a first degree and a second degree, they introduced a third degree, three degrees of understanding and light in uh, masonry, and they called it the third degree or the master mason degree. And it was in all of London's uh, lodges. And then when they introduced that, there was all kinds of splits in the Masonic lodges and they began to fight amongst each other, which happens with all denominations, all groups, all religions. And so bifurcated were the European and American ideas of what Masonry was that Benjamin Franklin went to France and he got his third Master Mason degree in France only to come back and find that the Masons here rejected him and refused to uh, accept him as a Mason any longer, and they didn't even give him a Masonic funeral where you're buried in all your temple garb. Now, the United States was a wonderful incubator for the ideas of Masonry. It was fresh. It was new. There were young men seeking to establish themselves. This was an older order that gave men direction. There was no national religion where people could say, you know, I belong to the Church of England. It was kind of an open thing. And so Masonry kind of served as this unifying factor in early America. They called each other brothers. 
So uh, it gave these guys uh, an opportunity to become something that was bigger than themselves. Unlike functional Freemasonry in the 14th century, American Freemasonry was, quote, a closed and secret fraternal organization which promoted brotherhood, unity, protection, economic support, and unity among adherents. I'm reading from Duncan's free book, uh, Masonry. It says also, quote, by unifying themselves under oaths, grips, signs, tokens, words, and the threat of penalty of death, Masons became a powerful group that infiltrated early American life as they grew in number, allegiance, and strength. In a sense, the Freemasons morphed into sort of a white mafia. They were powerful, they were united, they were capable of doing great good and also great evil. It was the murder of a Mason whose last name was Morgan, if you remember when we talked about Joseph Smith's wives, that caused the American Masonic lodges to almost crumble into dust permanently. Even today, it struggles from recovery from that murder. But by the way, Joseph Smith took Morgan's widow and made her one of his first polygamous wives. Several years ago, I purchased a copy of a book with a very long title, shortened, I'll call it Duncan's Ritual of Freemasonry. It was written in 1866 by Malcolm C. Duncan and gives the entire rites and rituals of Freemasonry starting back in the early 1700s. I spent four days going through it and highlighting everything that I saw in Duncan's book that uh, relates to Mormon temples today. Now, it's really important to know that Joseph Smith founder of Mormonism, admitted to being a Mason in his History of the Church, Volume 4, page 551. This was prior to his revealing to the LDS their temple endowment and its rituals. It was prior. With Joseph Smith speaking under the date of March 15, 1842, it reads, quote, In the evening I received the first degree in Freemasonry in the Nauvoo Lodge, assembled in my general business office, end quote. The records the next day says, quote, I was with the Masonic Lodge and rose to the sublime degree, meaning he was made a master Mason. So, clothed in the Masonic garb of white underclothes, a robe, a sash, an apron of fig leaves, and a cap, Joseph Smith was led through the Masonic rituals over a two-day period of time. The following are some excerpts Joseph was taught in the first, second, and third degree Masonic rituals in Nauvoo. Please remember this before you come to kill me. These are taken from Duncan's book of Freemasonry. These are quoting what he wrote. I bought it at Barnes & Noble. You can read them yourselves. All right? So Joseph Smith, dressed in it, learned these phrases. The veil has long been lifted. The compass and the square. Three degrees are conferred. Brethren, don't give the wrong sign. Brother, put on an apron. Three raps. He opens the door and inquires. He admits them. Hat, sash, yoke, and apron. Brethren will be properly clothed and in order. Brethren, put on your aprons. Makes the sign. Quote, to introduce and clothe all visiting brethren to receive under no less penalty. The brethren present may seek to inflict. Masonry is a whole of which each mason forms a part. The signs, make the sign of, draw the right hand rapidly across the neck and drop the hand to the side. The left arm forming a square. Drop the left arm suddenly and with spirit as soon as with two motions are accomplished. 
the Holy Bible, the square, and the compass. Draw the right hand thumb across the stomach as low as the vest and drop the hand suddenly. Raise the hands high above the head and drop, repeating three times, saying, O Lord. Down to the skirts of his garments, the altar. Whisper the password in their ear. All arise to their feet, all may sit. By the usual sign of a mason, raise the right hand. Those opposed by the same sign. Membership, found worthy. When the master makes the sign by drawing his hand across the throat, all follow suit. Slip your left shoulder, places a slipper on the right foot, three distinct knot, who comes here, is he worthy, let him enter. You should attempt to reveal, should you attempt to reveal these secrets, endow him. Who comes here, Mr. Parker, who has long been in darkness, now seems to receive of their own free will. This candidate in order and awaits your further will and pleasure. I state your name of my own free will in the presence of Almighty God, and I will always hail, ever conceal, and never reveal the secrets I've uh, received. Token. The sun rules the day, the moon governs the night. I'm going to stop for a second here for those of you who are saying, what are you talking about? If you are LDS, and if you have been a faithful, active LDS temple attending member, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This originated from a man-made institution and it continues to be a man-made practice. I'm gonna continue just to get it on the record. The grip of an inter, uh, entered apprentice, what is that? Has it a name? It has. Will you give it to me? By the right hand and by the signs and tokens. We're instructed by the first sign to avoid temptation by proper restraint of our passions. White linen apron. It goes on and on. I don't think I can put it all down. Um, I'm going to give you a few more from the second degree Masonic rite. Now you slip your right arm through your sh shirt sleeve. Brother Jones, who has been regularly initiated, now wishes to receive more light. The first time you receive the points of the compass, now you will receive the angle of the square. The master, speaking in a very low to tone, that's a parenthetical reference of instructions on how the person is supposed to speak when, they're giving, uh, when they say the master. Uh, Brother Senior Warden, it is your orders to teach this candidate. Talk, they talk, I'm going to paraphrase now because there's too many. They talk about lifting the candidate from his knees, uh, by the hand, from the altar. They talk about rising to their feet, increasing in their knowledge. There's a quote, all the maps and charts of the celestial and terrestrial bodies. The third degree rites talk about now wishing more light, not having illegal carnal intercourse with a person of the opposite sex, um, or being willing to have your body severed in two, looking the conductor in the eye, let us report, let us go and report, uh, the real grip of the master mason, the five points of fellowship, uh, the beehive, the all-seeing eye, the orders of the priesthood, the celestial lodge above, adieu, my brethren, a, far, a heart, warm, fond adieu, reference to the Book of Mormon, the symbol of the sunstone, and finally, it talks about tracing your genealogy. It talks about a pledge that is required of all of them to most readily do. It talks about the new era, name of an LDS magazine, and finally, it talks about, page 269, quote, and I'll give you the, uh, the, you can get these notes on the internet, on our website. It says, quote, when a candidate receives the first degree, he is said to be initiated. At the second step, he is passed. 
at the third raised when he takes the marked degree. He is congratulated advanced, having passed the chair he is said to have presided. When he becomes the most excellent master, he is acknowledged and received. And when a royal archmason, he is exalted. Less than two months after having gone through these Masonic rituals on May 4th, 1842, Joseph Smith introduced the temple endowment ceremony in Nauvoo, Illinois. I'd like to ask my brothers and sisters who are LDS out there who I love and care about three things. And then we'll go to the phones, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. First, is that temple you place so much emphasis on from God or from the minds of men seeking to exalt man? Secondly, has going inside that temple made you feel more like a humble, mourning, poor in spirit, sinful person whose soul rests entirely on Jesus? Or do you enter and exit feeling more like a superior, exalted, accomplished, sufficient human being? Finally, which characteristics does Jesus require of his sheep and followers? Let's go to the phone. We have Shannon, first-time caller in Salt Lake City. Shannon, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Good. Uh, my question for you is, why do you think so many people, um, even, even sometimes including yourself, feel so threatened by the Mormon church? Well, I don't feel threatened by the Mormon church uh, myself. You assign that to me, but I do believe that they are a force to be reckoned with. I believe that they sent out a missionary force of 56,000 plus who are knocking on doors and telling people that their church was not right, and they give them an, a, a counterfeit gospel that puts them into bondage. And so that, that, makes me, that makes me angry, to tell you the truth. And I hate to see people who don't realize that Jesus is enough, and they're working their brains out trying to be exalted and going to temples and doing everything they can in order to please God when God was pleased with the sacrifice of His Son. So that is why I do what I do. Other people are intimidated because you got to admit, there's a lot of secrecy in Mormonism, and it makes them somewhat scary. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean I'm a Christian, and I just, I, I know a lot of Mormons, and I consider them to be great people. I consider them to be Christian, knowing um, how good they do in the world. As for the Mormon missionary program, I guess, um, I don't know, I, I've had it explained to me that if I had something that I believed was true, would I not want to go share it as well? I don't think they're doing necessarily any harm in, you know, going to share what they so, believe is true. I just think that people maybe don't know them as well and are still threatened by them because they believe in something so strongly. Well, I'm not sure I find, uh, and I mean this respectfully, honestly, I don't find consistency in what you're saying uh, for a, on a number of accounts. You find them, because they're good, you find them that you believe that they're Christian. Well, you, if you examine their doctrines of salvation, you'll understand that their form of Christianity is completely different from what the biblical uh, presentation of uh, salvation is. And so, I guess if they're Christian, then I'm Mormon and 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 Buddhists are Christian, and, and I guess everybody's Christian who does good according to your, to your definition of what, it, what makes a Christian a Christian. Well, I, I mean, there are many Christians in the world. I believe that there is, you know, that there can be one true church if, if Christ started a church in the beginning. 
I mean, you look at other religions and you take it back. I've studied more about, take for instance, Augustine, the founder of Christian theology, and how he wrote... Okay, Augustine was not the founder of Christian theology. Uh, Jesus Christ was the founder of all things Christian. Well, of course, he yeah. was the founder, but I'm saying that the one who created different things like such as the Godhead and such as children, okay. uh, baptism for children, uh -oh. he created, he is the one who started most of these things. Okay, he did bring in some things that were not right into the church, you're right. But the Bible again teaches us that the church is made up of believers, not of a church, a building, or a denomination. So, yeah. right? Yeah, I, I just, I, I think that, you know, I mean, because it seems to me that you are, um, obviously, it seems to me that you are threatened by it because you spend one night a week um, trying to convince others that they are not Christian, that they are not... Well, again, I, I gave you my reasons behind that. Did that not suffice? Uh, I mean, they're not legitimate because it's more of your, your opinion saying that they're not Christian. Uh, it's really not, a, I mean, we're, how, do we have facts in this world or are you a relativist? I mean, where do we go? Is everything okay or do we have some lines that we say this is and this isn't? Well, there are many lines, but at the same time, I think, and I think you would agree that people have to live by faith. So you said that we need to accept Christ in order to be, in order to be saved. True. At the same time, I don't believe that we need to go about this world doing evil and then just say, oh, I accept Christ. I think we okay, need to Okay, you speak so very much very much like a Mormon or someone who has been LDS. You speak very much like one. I've been one for 40 years, so I'm surprised that you're a Christian. Are you LDS at all, or have you ever been? No, I have studied, I mean, I've studied multiple religions. Okay. I that, know, I know a lot. And you're I not a lot LDS. Of friends. You're not LDS. No, and I have a lot of LDS friends, though. So I've been around it. I know what their beliefs are. I've been to church. My discernment tells me that you're LDS, and I don't think you're being honest. You speak in the terms of, an, of a Latter-day Saint. Well, let's take for instance, I live in Utah. I have LDS Shannon, friends. Shannon. Been to an LDS church. You've been, so you've been, you've been to church and things like that. Yeah, okay. I mean, and I've I stand corrected. I'm, I, I, natural. Yeah, okay. Uh, because we do have people who call and say they aren't and they are. And you sound like No, one, and, so. I, and I understand that. Yeah. And I'm not trying to deceive you. I just, I just wanted to know why... I, I mean, because it's, it seems to me I'm trying to, you know, if I study so many religions, I want to know what religion is, is correct for me. There I, is no, look, at there, again, you've studied so many religions. Again, listen, it is not about a religion. It's about a relationship. You're not going to find a true church. And as a Christian, I would if think you would, you would know that. Well, unless you're really into denominationalism but, and sectarianism. But listen... It's your relationship with Jesus that makes you the Christian, not the church you go to. And I understand that yeah. because, I mean, and I want a good relationship with uh, Jesus. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, and I strive for it and I read the, from the Bible. And, mm -hmm. and so it's just, I just wanted to know, I mean, but if, if Christ was here on earth and if he established a church here on earth, and, okay. you know, again, apostles from the Bible went out and preached the gospel. Again, you're saying he established a church that is so Mormon. Listen, he established a church made of believers. You're making it sound like it's an institution or a building. It's not. From what, from what I understand in the Bible, I mean, he called apostles, correct? Sure, and they helped him as first-hand witnesses of his ministry, and they wrote his words. Remember, he said, "My word, heaven and earth shall pass away. My word will not pass away. They wrote his words. They had a purpose. 
and, and upon the oh. foundation of apostles and prophets, he built his church. When Foundations don't keep building. Different places in the world, did they not? I mean, I know they didn't go to really many different places. I mean, they didn't go extreme. Paul did, but not real far. Well, okay. So Paul, for instance, I mean, in you look at you know revelations in different places where where Paul went and he preached the gospel, or you know he preached what okay. Christ had be started, and then he went to a different um, city, and then he writes back, he's writing letters, yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of the Bible is. All very factual. Why did you change the way that he had organized that place? Why, why have you taken it into your own hands and changed it? Sure, and but you notice that there was churches all over, different ones. There was Antioch. There was churches in different places, and it was churches. It wasn't a church. They And it says in the Bible, it talks about churches, and these nope. churches should do this. See? It's not one. If he went to teach just about Christ and say, if you believe in Christ, you're saved, how could they possibly change that? If they were to keep their relationship with Christ, then they would not have changed it, correct? Okay. Uh, Shannon, I think that we're, uh, I, I would love to talk more with you, but I think that our audience, because it's TV, we're going to keep it going. Email me, we'll talk, but I want you to know that Paul, if you read Romans, he talked about it being Christ. That's, that, that's what he talked about. What? I know, I know, but I still think that they come have to Denny's. Or, come to Denny's tonight. What was that? Come to Denny's, Fifth South. I, I can't, but I will plan on meeting you at Denny's one night. Okay, good. All right, that sounds good, Shannon. Thanks for your call. All right. Okay, bye bye. We're going to Mindy, first time caller, line three. Mindy, you're in heart of the matter. Hi. Yes, I am also a Mor. I was a Mormon who was radically saved while in the LDS Church. Awesome. And I just wanted to tell you that you are doing an awesome job. And as time went on, God showed me that he, or Jesus showed me that he was God. He wasn't my brother. And my eyes were completely opened to the truth. I was hungry for the Bible. My life radically changed. And my question to you tonight is, I have a mother-in-law who is LDS, and you were talking about Freemasonry, and I had brought this up to her to kind of show her what I didn't think was uh, biblical within the Mormon church in the temple. And she is taught in her ward, and I know each ward can be taught different things, that because our founding fathers, a lot of them were into the Freemason, Freemasonry, that uh, our nation is sort of built on the Freemason, uh -huh. Freemasons. And so I'm just wondering if you could comment to that or uh, give me some information that I could tell her that uh, would help I, me. I think she's right. Uh, before I address that, I just want to thank you for your testimony because it's wonderful to hear that you're speaking in the language. You speak with metaphysical certitude. That's what I call it. When I meet someone who is Jewish or Catholic or whatever, and they come to know the Lord, they use those words that you use, how you hunger for the word, and you know Jesus is your son. I love to hear that. And that, when people call and they say, I've been born again, you say, have you really? And they don't speak in those terms. It's not that you have to, but it's just that people who are saved do. So it's a beautiful call. Now, as far as your mom, it was, America was founded on, uh, by Masons. And I mean, a lot of them. And they had a lot of significance in early American history, but they lost it quickly. Joseph Smith, he could have respected them. His father and his brother Hiram were Masons, so he could have respected them. And they were Masons long, long, long before he ever went through and did it. My point in it is that he took the ceremony that is supposed to have been from ancient Israel and he, he just mixed it and matched it and called it truth. And it, it is so antithetical 
to what uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ teaches about grace. Yes. Okay. Well, that's great. I hope that helps. It does. That's all I needed, and I just wanted to tell you, keep up the good work, and we listen to you every week. You're awesome, and praise God for your ministry. Praise God. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. Bye, Mindy. All right. We're going to Jody and Layton. Jody, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Hi. I, I'm so, I've been waiting for this show about Freemasons. That was one of my major factors in leaving the church. I was, you know, true-believing Mormon, and I found out stuff about the Masons, and I asked my brother, who's been on a mission into the temple, and he's a high priest, and he took the question uh, to his elders' core president. I said, what is, you know, what is this about Joseph Smith? How can it be that, with it being so close to the temple, that it could be right? And he said that Joseph was commanded to go search it out with the Masons, and that it was perfect, and now it's corrupted. And I didn't know how to respond to that. So later on, I was searching about the Muslims, and I was reading the Quran, and I asked him some of those same questions. And also that Abraham, or not Abraham, Muhammad, had had some similar experiences with his first visions, how they were mixed up, and he didn't know for sure if it was an angel or a devil. So I asked my brother about it, and he came up with the same answer yeah. from the Elders Quran president that, Muhammad had the truth, but now it's been corrupted, and they didn't write it down right. And I just wondered if you could, is that like a pad answer? And I will take your comment after I hang up so I can hear it. Okay, Jody, thanks for calling. Thanks. Uh, one of the difficulties of discussing uh, anything with a, a faithful Latter-day Saint is that they can pull from a repertoire of answers that even contradict each other, and those answers will be correct to them depending on who you are, your level of light and understanding, and the situation at hand. They feel justified in lying for the Lord, some of them, not all of them. They feel justified in giving you conflicting information if it's going to suit you. And they will say what is ever really necessary uh, in order to make it appear that they have answers to things that are just unanswerable. And so, um, like I've said before on the show, facts are so inferior to belief. And um, you'll find that probably more uh, evident in Mormonism than any other religion on earth. The facts often don't matter. So that is why, the, like the book I wrote, or, or, our ministry really is behind teaching Jesus. This show is a special show that we do this because so many, pe so many Mormons, when we started out, said, well, we do believe in Jesus. We are Christian. We are saved. And so we decided we have to show them why they're not. But on a one-on-one -on -one basis, teach Jesus are you reborn? Have you been saved? How do you know you're saved? Why don't you speak in these terms and let Jesus guide them, change their heart, and lead them out? That's the best thing because facts uh, just will not persuade many, many people. All right, we're going to Debbie in South Jordan. Debbie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. I watch all of your shows over the internet. So I'm not actually watching live, but I had a comment uh, to make. Okay. Through all, whenever I hear people call up and talk about the Bible, um, one thing always occurs to me. They, I don't think that every character and every person talked about in the Bible is necessarily, necessarily exa an example of what we should do. True. I think the Bible is, has two different parts. Part of it is prescriptive and tells us what we should do. And part of it is simply descriptive. It, it, it's just describing the situation and the times. 
I really, that's a great point, Debbie, because Satan says things in the Bible and, and false prophets say things in the Bible and, and men and women do things in the Bible that are not of the Lord. And just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it something we should do. So that's a really good point. I'm glad you made that clarification. Thank, thanks, Debbie. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Emily in Salt Lake City. Emily, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how are you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing very well. I, I have a question for you. Yes. And I want you to know, Emily, that mm -hmm. Sarah's are the first ones who usually cause me the most problem, but second in line are the Emily's. The Emily's are usually second, but go ahead. <laughs> well, lucky for you, I'm a Christian. Oh, praise God. All right, go ahead. Okay, my question for you then is, um, have you seen the September Dawn, movie September Dawn, and do you have any opinions about it? Probably somebody's already addressed this on the show. Unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to watch it for the last couple of weeks. How dare you? Uh, no, uh, yes, uh, Emily, I have uh, seen September Dawn, and I thought, I didn't think the movie itself was, was bad. People were making fun of it. I thought, I thought the actors were pretty good, and I thought that the, the, the cinematography and all that were good, but what, one thing I didn't like was the fact that they seemed to cram every single thing that made Mormonism really strange into that singular event, and so it was almost over the top, in my opinion. If they had just stuck with uh, the facts and, and presented it, it would have been better for me, but I really like facts. I don't like revisionist history or this literature that kind of mixes fictional literature stuff. Uh, not fictional literature, but... Love story, you mean? Yeah, you know, the work in the glory stuff. I don't know if you know about that. I don't like that because you don't really know what's true and what's not. The romantic story going through, the thread of uh, the romantic story going through was not true at all. There was a number of things that were not true at all, and someone watching it uh, who doesn't know could just think that every single thing was true, and that makes it a little bit more um, undeserving of uh, real acclaim, in my opinion. Definitely. And um, I just wanted to make a comment. Um, earlier, listening to one of the previous callers, I was reminded of what a person's source of truth needs to be. Okay. So often, we have people in our society that are claiming to be Christian, but their source of truth is so many of different philosophies that don't make any sense with relativism or humanism, with Jesus being a good teacher smashed into one thing. Christ wasn't just a good teacher. He demanded that you make a decision about him. Yes. He is not just a great man who taught wonderful things. He is the son of God, and you are a dirty, filthy sinner without his blood, and he is the only one who can make you clean. And if people can realize that's what the true source is of truth, then they will have redemption. If not, their soul is in the greatest danger that it will ever be in. Really well said, Emily. I love it. Thank you so oh. much for those comments. And one more thing, Joanna's my roommate, so I will definitely make sure she gets the message. She's at Tandoor tonight working. Again, someone else not watching the show. What's going on? I'm kidding. All right, please, <laughs> please pass that on. All right, it will do that. Thanks, Emily. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Daniel, a BYU baseball player. Daniel, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Dan. No, you're Dan. Hey, Sean. <laughs> hey, what's going on? All right, um, I just... Uh, Called. I'm just calling to tell you thanks for the book that you sent me over the summer. Oh, awesome! You got it. Did you, were you able to read some of it? Um, I haven't because I've been reading a lot of John Piper. How dare you! God, everyone's insulting me. I'm just kidding. Uh, um, 
Go I'm ahead. I'm calling because today you've been talking about Freemasonry, and so I was just doing a lot of study, like, last 2006 summer. Yeah. And um, do you know Ed Decker? I do. Okay, well, yeah, he used to be a Mormon just like you and got out of it for, you know, a lot of obvious reasons. And um, in his little pamphlet that he wrote about Freemasonry, he says um, the true identity of the Masonic deity, you know how they... Yeah, it, the G. That's not the deity only. Um, it's given in the 17th degree of the Scottish Rite. Hmm. And it says um, the candidates have completed the initiation. They are given the secret password, Jubilum, and sacred word, Abaddon. And in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11, John writes, <clears throat> They, the demons and workers from hell, had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, one must ask, you know, how could any true Christian, as, you know, some Christians are Masons, you know, they try and right. be both at the same time. I'm like, how do they do that? Wow, I don't know. Um, I didn't realize that. Um, I didn't know that. You, you brought something to light that is uh, good information. And if people uh, have other things to add to that, it'd be great to hear. But I didn't know that. I don't know. I don't see any reason to be a Freemason unless it's, uh, some people justify it by saying it's good for business, that they'll be blackballed in their business if they're not a Mason. And I've heard that's true. Most presidents of the United States before John F. Kennedy were Masons. Kennedy couldn't be one, I don't think, because he was a Catholic and he, could conf and he confessed. And they wouldn't allow that if you're a Mason. But um, that's a really good point. I don't know the answer as to uh, why Christians would be a Mason and if that is still practiced in the 17th uh, right of the Scottish, uh, the 17th degree of the Scottish right. Hey, um, and also, um, do you read about or know about um, how Joseph Smith, like, died in the Carthage? Yeah, we're going to get to that when we cover uh, his, his death, uh, his, his, his gunfight uh, at Carthage in uh, probably about a month. Really? That long? Yeah, well, there's so much. I mean, we could go for five years and never end it. <laughs> hey, how's the baseball game? Um, good. We have an alumni game real soon. Oh, good. And are you, uh, you're, where are you going to church? Christ Evangelical down there? Um, I try to go to Evangelical, and I also go to Calvary Chapel, Mountain View with Joe McCormick. Awesome. Great job. Keep it going, man. I really appreciate it, Daniel. All right. I'll try and make it out to Denny's one night. Please do. All right. I'm kind of swamped right now, but I'll try. Okay. God bless you. Okay. Bye-bye. I love it when BYU people call. The, the flight out, I was in a, in a plane full of BYU people, and I'm telling you, I could feel their stares upon me. It was, uh, I was uh, scared. All right, we're going to Jordan in line one. Jordan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. Hey, Jordan. How you doing? Doing well. How are you? Uh, I got a question on Freemasonry, and just like you to tell your viewers about it, too. Okay. Um... How about you tell your viewers about the similarities between Enoch and Joseph Smith? Well, I haven't gotten to that, but uh, so why don't you tell them? Because I have to, I'll say this again. I am a researcher and a presenter. I'm not a scholar. I don't have a mind like a steel trap. <laughs> you can catch me on things right and left. Go ahead. So, well, Enoch and Joseph Smith, their um, stories, say that Joseph Smith found the golden plates and Enoch found hidden scribes hidden there by um, a bunch of masons. 
And so then um, they have that, and hold on, I forget for a sec. Do you know any more about it? <laughs> no, that's why I prepare for these shows, and it takes me a while to gather this stuff. There's so much. But, you know, there, I'm sure there's some truth to what you're saying. The thing is, I like to have it right ready because I get called on my facts all the time. And when I have it in print, we put it on the website. They can read it. And when they, no, one, no one has ever said, well, two people have said two things in the past 18 months of shows every week that this was wrong or that was wrong. Two of these things, maybe they're right. You know, no one's perfect. But we really try to get on the facts of things. So there isn't this type of, well, I think he said this, and yeah, did you know? Because there's a lot of that surrounding Mormonism. we got to stay on, on the facts. Yeah. And I heard you haven't heard that musty clam guy call for a long time. Well, he hasn't called for two weeks, but you were able to reinforce the name tonight. And thank you so much, Jordan. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right, you take care, my friend. You too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye. Uh, we are going to uh, Mike in... <laughs> Taylorsville. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello? Hello, Mike. You're on the air. Hey, Sean. Hey. Um, uh, I've only seen your show about eight or ten times, and I'm really impressed with what you do. Thanks. Uh, I'm 45-plus years in the church. Wow. Yeah. Bishop and everything. Wow. Yeah. And uh, I've had questions all my life, and I can no longer believe. You know, I just... The, there's no facts behind what they do. Anyway, uh, what I was calling about was that Freemasonry stuff you're talking about tonight. That I didn't quite catch the name of the book. I came on when you were talking about it with uh, Duncan. Yeah, it's Duncan's book of uh, ritual Freemasonry, and you can get it at Barnes and Noble. It's a little tiny book, but thick. Little black book with gold uh, um, compass and square on it. Okay. Yeah, check that, check that out. It'll amaze you. Take a highlighter and just spend time reading, and you're gonna, your mind is going to get blown away. Well, yeah, it'll just be more to reinforce what I have. Listen, uh, Mike, this is important. This is probably the most important call tonight. What are you doing now? As far as? You mean, your relationship to God. Uh, I still pray, and I still read the Bible. Good for you. Have you, have I, you I, I, I don't attend right now any uh, organized religion. Okay. And you're in Taylorsville. Have you have you sought to just incognito go try one out and just see? No, I haven't. Any suggestions? Go to our website www.bornagainmormon.com and we give a recommended list of a bunch of churches in that area. I love Sandy Ridge uh, Community Church, uh, Pastor Travis. I like Calvary Chapel and, and Salt Lake City. I like Joe McCormick's and American Fork. I don't know how convenient those are to you. There's other ones out there. Of course, it's not exhaustive. And we're trying to get more and more. But try those out, Mike. And I would love to dialogue with you about how things are going. Okay, great. All right, praise God. And thanks for calling. Hey, thanks. Okay, see you later. Bye-bye. We have 15 seconds. Pastor in the pubs at Denny's on 5th South tonight, 250 West in downtown Salt Lake City. And... Uh, Gear up, because next week we're going to Temples Part 4, and it's going to be really good. See you then.